This is Story Slinger, a weekly show about being an indie author, the writing process, and the business of self-publishing. Join me, your host, Teague Delaplane, each week to learn about my projects and processes and listen to readings from my past, present, and future works. Let's sling some stories together. Hello and welcome to Story Slinger. This is week 14 of 2022. I'm your host, Teague Delaplane, and this week I'm going to discuss the writing space, my thoughts on writing prompts, and read a short story inspired by a writing prompt itself. Let's get after it. Honestly, I can write just about anywhere. I always carry a notebook with me, and I also have my phone most of the time. And on occasion, I purposely pack my laptop and water bottles and head out into the world to write, either at a cafe, coffee shop, park, or other public place. Amusingly, I spent some time recently building a desk out of a repurposed 1920s wardrobe door and twin nightstands from the same furniture set. I had a piece of glass cut for the top of the desk, and I decorated the hollow spaces under the glass with a bunch of military memorabilia I've collected from my career in the Marines. I'm sitting at this desk right now, and it's really nice. But the truth is that I don't often write here. I think it's because there are too many distractions for me here in this room, too many things to draw my eye and occupy my attention. I often find myself sitting at the wardroom table. Our rooms all have nautical names, by the way, so where we eat is the wardroom. It's a big, empty wooden space with a view straight through the salon and out into the front garden. It's mostly filled with impersonal things, dishes and art and nonfiction books, so I'm not easily distracted sitting there. Plus, it's awfully close to the coffee machine. I have dreams of building a writing shed one day, something cool and modern with a huge built-in desk with space for my music recording equipment and a comfortable sofa. But the more I consider how I write, and more importantly, how I want to live, I think it's less likely that I will end up with a writing shed or studio after all. You see, my dream is to live on a sailing boat, full-time, and write from there. Anchored off some tropical island, clacking away at my stories, swimming the afternoon heat away, grilling freshly caught fish at night. So the permanence of a writing shed doesn't fit into that lifestyle at all. But what I realized through this thought process is that we creators, we artists, should focus less on the where and on the tools and more on the simple but difficult act of creating. Wherever we find a comfortable place to write, with whatever writing tool we have on hand, we should sit down and do the work. To not do that is simply to make excuses and procrastinate away the little time that we have left to make the things we want to put out into the world. So if you're a creator, you better start getting after it right now. I love and hate writing prompts. If you don't know what they are, picture a sentence or two that sounds something like, write 1,500 words about a time you were lost in the woods. Writing prompts like this can be fun, but also frustrating. If you're a writer, you know the feeling when you have an amazing idea and can sit down and write for an hour nonstop, ending up with 5,000 words that you know will evolve into the greatest story you've ever told. And then the momentum fades, 
and you realize you need to outline the story and do some character development and a whole lot of work before you can even contemplate writing an actual draft. Writing long fiction, novellas, and novels is a hard slog. It takes time and effort and consistency, and the resulting draft is usually pretty terrible. Writing prompts, on the other hand, are usually fun and can give you a respite from the work in progress that has you hating your decision to become a writer. If you Google writing prompts, you'll find more resources than you can ever take advantage of. Two places I have gone for writing prompts are best-selling author Chuck Wendig's site, TerribleMinds.com, and Writing Time Fridays by Astro House, the makers of the distraction-free writing tool FreeWrite. Writers are masters of distraction, and we always have writing that needs to be done. We have to finish our novel draft, or a blog post that should have gone out yesterday, or a podcast episode. No matter what you're behind on or seeking distraction from, writing prompts can help move you forward and build enough momentum to get you back to your project. Writing prompts pull you away from your distractions and provide a specific focused writing project that you can start and finish in the short term. This process can help you work out your writing chops and build your writing habit. They can also give you new perspectives and force you to write about topics you might not normally pick yourself. Obviously, I highly recommend using writing prompts, whether you're stuck or not. They're fun, and if you write enough of them, you might even find that you can publish them as a collection, as I plan to do next year. Today's reading, believe it or not, is the product of a writing prompt. I got it from Chuck Wendig's personal website, TerribleMinds.com. The prompt was something like, write a thousand-word piece of flash fiction about a tree. I'm going to read it in its entirety. I hope you enjoy it. It's called The Tree. Samantha, right? That's my name. Samantha. Isn't it? Is that what they want to call me? For me to call myself? Fine, I'm Samantha. Samantha what? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. I pull at my cardigan, totally self-conscious in front of them. Why are they just sitting there, staring? Hi, I mumble. I'm, uh, Samantha. Hello, Samantha, they say in unison. Creepy. I wipe my palms, sweaty now. Hey, I'm nervous, okay? on my skirt, fiddle with my gray cardigan again. I believe that the time I've spent here has been good for me. For us, I almost say out loud. I know I've learned a lot about myself, and I believe that I'm ready to be set free. My eyes dart to each one of theirs, their faces unsmiling. One of the women is scribbling on a screen with her stylus. The little squeaks hurt my head, and I wince, willing her to stop. She does. There are seven of them, all sitting there in those immaculate white suits, White gloves over hands with five fingers each. Five fingers! Can you guys believe it? I bet they have five toes, too. Their pale, weird faces inside the glass bubbles staring at me make me nervous all over again. I believe I have achieved atonement, I say. They all glance at one another. One of them, the commander I've heard him called, reaches out to a little silver box on the table and twists a dial. Would you please repeat that, Samantha? He says, smiling. I wish I could smile. I wish I knew how they did it, twisting their mouths like that. The first time I saw it, I was filled with such a sense of wonder, because when they did it, their eyes would light up, their whole faces would light up. Not literally glow, not like I do when I get happy, but you get it. Happy. 
but his eyes are not lit up. It's almost as though his smile doesn't reach his eyes today. Is that possible? Or does it mean something else? I think about when they were rounding us up and putting us into the boxes that they didn't smile then. I believe I have achieved atonement, I repeat, glancing down again at my pretty clothes. I try to smile, fail, look back at them. The seven of them exchange glances like they aren't quite sure. The commander shrugs. Proceed, he says. I start talking then, without interruption. I try to start at the beginning and move the story up to the present, but time as a, as a linear thing is such a weird thing to try and grasp. It's how they want me to tell my story, because that's how they understand things. But I find it almost impossible, because what I'm really doing is expressing a series of emotions. The fear I felt and the panic, the terrible need to escape, to not become injured, or worse, to have them take a part of me away, a part of us. I can tell the seven of them have no idea what I'm talking about. A few of them have that same smile now, the one that only goes as far as the corners of their tiny mouths. Their eyes are cold and hollow. I can sense that somehow I'm not going to be let go, and that that's the dilemma, especially for her, because she's such a delicate one, and being sent back into the room, the cage, would not be good for her mind, would break it and cause the rest of us more damage than was already done. Poor Samantha. I squeeze my eyes shut, bringing an image of the girl into my mind. She stands there with us in her pink skirt and her gray cardigan. She is smiling. Somehow she's figured out how to do it. Then I understand. She doesn't want to go. She wants to try and be like them, to smile like them and to talk like them. But she doesn't get it. She doesn't realize what the, the time shutting away would do to her. What they would do to her. And in my mind, I start to push, and I push as hard as I can, pushing, pushing, shoving. I stand there gawking for a moment, not quite believing it. The cardigan is gone now. I stare down at the ugly orange jumpsuit, frayed a little, at the left lapel where I kept tugging on it, teasing out the fibers. I want to pluck a string from it, but my hands are stuck behind me somehow. The cardigan, the pink skirt, all of it is gone, and that's it. Samantha is free. I didn't want to let her go, honestly. I didn't, but I had to, you know. I, I couldn't let her stay in here, not with her cute pink skirt and her darling gray cardigan. And now that she's gone and it's just me and the gang, it's finally all right. I smile. We smile. We look up at the twisted branches filtering bright starshine down on our hair and face, an impossibly warm and bright day. We breathe in the heady smell of summer, pollen, grass, earth, the giddy sounds, birds chirruping, a beetle buzzing its wings somewhere behind us, and bees flitting from flower to flower in their dance that will keep everything going even after we're gone. This is absolutely perfect. The rest of us deserve this moment, this last piece of solitude. Our mind is lost as we gaze up at the twin stars, the warmth comforting. We don't even notice the rope, its primitive form wrapped tightly on one end around the branch high above, draped softly over our neck on the other end. We don't notice the stool either until the last moment, the moment when the man in the white suit, light sparkling on the glass bowl, kicks it. My eyes open. I am in the constructed box with the metal walls. This time I know more. This time I can look for a different advantage so that we don't all end up hanging under the tree. We could leave at any time, but 
then we wouldn't understand them, know what they want. I look down at myself and see that this new form is very pleasing, though I am not happy about the bright orange. I shiver, my shoulders bunching up, my head shaking the wisps out around it. There, that's better. She would be happy. Samantha so loved the combination of pink and gray. This has been Story Slinger, a podcast about the craft of storytelling. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a like and a follow and share it with your friends. You can find out more about me and my books at teaguedelaplane.com and look for me on Amazon. We'll see you next week and thanks for listening.